Hey lovelies, now that the three weeks, nine days, and Tish above are behind us, here's what you can expect from me and Impact Fashion as summer very slowly starts to wind down and we gear up for the pre-holiday season. Number one, the clearance section is not going anywhere. That's the part of ImpactFashionNYC.com where styles are up to 70% off and they are always there, literally always, as in all the time. There, if you're ever looking for a great deal, that's where an item will be up to 70% off and they are still returnable within 10 days. That's instead of the usual 30. Just that's your first stop if you're ever looking for a great deal. Number two, lovely perks are going to start going out again. That's the discount code that goes out once a month only to my email subscribers. Because that audience is so small, sizes tend to not sell out. And some of those discounts are really good. I've done like 40% off the hug dress or 10% off the flutter dress. And they're just, they're great deals. And it's my way of saying thank you to the lovelies that are really committed. I skipped one over the three weeks, but those are going to start up again with the first one going out next Monday on July 26th. The link to sign up is in the show notes. You can also find a signed up link at the bottom of any page on impactfashionnyc.com. Number three, new styles are going to be released soon. I'm really excited. I'm still finalizing production schedules with the factory, so I don't have exact dates yet. But if you've been following along on Instagram at impact.fashion.myc, then you already know that a new print of the blossom dress that is this gorgeous, almost like stained glass window effect. Oh, I love it. Along with a totally new design that is my take on a slip dress are both in the works. There will there will be a 48 hour pre order window for both dresses. I want to say probably within the next week and a half to two weeks or so. I'm not completely sure. Like I said, we're still finalizing schedules, still waiting for fabric samples to come in. So it's it's a little bit up in the air, but you can keep your eye on my Instagram feed. I'll of course announce it here on the podcast and we'll be sending out emails as well, just with updates on everything that's going on there. So that's what's happening right now. And it's very exciting. And you know, we're getting, we're gearing up for busy season and that's, that's always it's always fun to do. A little quick note before we start the episode, there is one bad word in this conversation. So if you're sensitive to language, please accept my apologies in advance and enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. Rifki Itzkowitz, and on today's show, I talk with a life coach and blogger about what it was like growing up in and out of foster care. She shares her experiences being moved around from home to home, finding the community that took her in, getting formally adopted at 19, and what all that meant as she was moving into motherhood. I owe Betty Golko an apology. I've known her for a little while, we've worked together in the past, and I'll admit that when she reached out to me about recording this episode, I wasn't initially thrilled with the idea. I mean, do we really need another conversation about the trials and tribulations of starting a blog? So I cautiously asked her what she'd want to talk about, and this incredible story came out that I had almost dismissed out of hand. Can you tell me what you were like as a little kid? Oh my gosh, so that's such a great question. I really think that people assume that I must have had this cute little story of, oh, I dressed up dolls and I love to look at magazines. And, you know, no, (laughs) that is certainly not my story. But as a little kid, I was always 
fun and you know friendly and cute and I, this was told to me because of course I had to inquire more about who I was and get more memories because honestly as I will share with you moving forward I don't have too many like big momentous memories of who I was or different things just really bulleted um moments growing up so yeah I know that you had a little bit of an unusual childhood um and what I want to do is I just want to turn the floor over to you so this is it's your show it's your story take it away oh my gosh well I don't want to take over the show but thank you (laughs) and listen I'm just so glad to be here and the whole idea really behind who am I? What is Betty? How did she get here today is really one of resiliency, determination, strength. And I've really come to a place in my life fairly recently, honestly, that I have really let go of this shame and begin to believe and know that it's actually a place of strength and inspiration and that's why I'm here today and that's why I'm here in the space of sharing my story now I'm gonna tell you some things and of course with everything shared it's not all of the pieces but we have to leave room for questions you know (laughs) so I was born in Memphis Tennessee cute little town you know southern belle all the way all the typical things you picture And um, really, unfortunately, at the onset of birth, I was taken away from my birth mother's care, pretty much at the hospital. And that was due to mental illness, mental illness such as, you know, bipolar mood disorder, things of that sort that, you know, they didn't talk about at that time. And they didn't really necessarily diagnose her at that time. But after that, throughout my whole entire upbringing, I was in her care, taken away, in her care, taken away to various foster homes or families within the community even. And just that alone is tremendously challenging. Nevertheless, the physical, emotional abuse that was going on within her presence and um Yeah, I'm the oldest of two younger siblings, and I was pretty much the mother and the caretaker throughout all of these things. So going to school, having friends, doing activities really wasn't on the forefront of my life growing up. Of course I did, and of course I'm grateful for all the amazing things that I was able to have, but um, it wasn't a normal situation, and moving a lot into different homes, you know, growing up very poor, you know, on food stamps was a completely different life. And then once I moved into the Jewish community in Memphis and began going to their local day school there, it was even actually even more challenging in many ways. Why? Well, because I was the odd one out and it wasn't a secret. You could see that I didn't have designer clothes. You know, I didn't have the ability to go on these trips and do all of those things that, you know, perhaps is normal for some families. And being that my natural personality really is fun and friendly and you know i'm i'm a fire sign i'm a taurus i'm an aries and i enjoy being with people i have friends it wasn't like i was awkward it was just that at home the situation it's hard to separate those things And as a young girl growing up and having to discover myself, let alone not having a very good bond or relationship or connection with either of my parents, um, you know, is really, really challenging to maneuver through. So, yeah, there's so many things that just transpire. 
there's there's so much there's so much there so when when you were taken what you know at birth when your mother was not allowed to care for you because she was not able to uh, your birth mother i should say was were you given to a family member did you immediately go into foster care how like how does something like that even work yeah well as with all things there's no one answer or one way but for me i was taken into care I'm still in touch with her today, actually. Her name is Gloria. She was and is just a cutest little Southern church going woman, her and her husband. And that's something that they do um, as a faith-based, you know, faith person. She and her husband take in babies who need that support. So she was not connected to me whatsoever. I honestly don't know really the specifics of how, but I guess because she did that, they contacted her. Um, and I was, I have pictures with her as a cute little girl with little church dresses and frills and like going with her because I was, I was little and I stayed with her for quite some times, um, till I was about three. So that's the formative what years. And, what, that's, you know. that's a huge, that's, you know, that's your, that's your like, yeah, she took care of you, you know, until, yeah. until you were a toddler. What happened when you were three? Yeah, so then, you know, there's a lot of rules and regulations in the government, and many of that is kind of like, take a course and uh, pass, and oh, I guess you're a good mother now. And, you know, I think things have changed a lot over the years, but especially perhaps in a southern small town and in that time frame, which I'm not that old, but, you know, things develop, and it was, she, she, she did the right things for what they required. So she was allowed, you know, visitation and then we were allowed to live with her and then just, you know, she couldn't, unfortunately. When you say that she was allowed visitation, you mean your birth mom? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So, so you, so you still had contact with your birth mom while you were with Gloria? Yeah, it wasn't every day or anything by that, but you know, whatever, whatever it was. Right. Once a week here, once every two weeks. I, I don't know the specifics, but. Right. So then, so you were, it sounded like not, you know, we, we are used to hearing these stories of kids who are in foster homes that are, um, you know, kind of bounced from house to house. And, you know, sometimes kids find their forever home and not always. And, and, you know, we see like a lot of, um, I actually just saw recently, I think it might've been an ad someplace where it's talking about a charity that gives foster kids duffel bags because otherwise they're moving their stuff in garbage bags, which to me is just awful. Um, then, you know, what? but I don't think that we've ever, I mean, I, again, I have zero experience with the foster care system. So like, these are stupid questions, but the, the idea of like going back and forth with, with your birth mom and then kind of the yo-yoing back and forth. And then it's your birth mom is like, okay, you can have her now. And then it's like, no, this is not a good idea. And then moving back and then forth, were you, when you were being taken out of your birth mom's care, were you always going back to the same family or to different families? No. No, I wasn't. Um, after that period with Gloria and her husband, Don, um, the next placement, if you would, was a totally different, totally different home. And I don't really think there was a rhyme or reason. It was just kind of like, okay, these kids need to be taken away again. And whoever and whatever is available, they will go to that. And again, that's why the system is so, so broken. Um, the children any, any child I'm talking about in any type of situation are really treated kind of just like a toy, like, oh, well, we have to follow the rule book. They're not supposed to be there because it's dangerous. So we'll just put them somewhere else, wherever it fits. It's, it's unfortunate, but there's a lot, it's really saturated. So 
I think that the system is just kind of um, pass it along, pass it along. And they, from my experience, at least, I didn't really recall any full, deep um, advice, assistance, helping. It was kind of like, take them away, put them there. Okay, they're safe now. Okay, put them back. Because the goal is always, you know, technically supposed to be really be with the family. So I think that they always try to get them back with the family. But at what point do you keep doing that when, you know, the signs are there, the message is there, like there's unfortunately you could say the same thing with divorce like at what point do you keep the marriage on is the damage worse to be together right so right yeah it's definitely also you know was your mom at like advocating to get you back was your birth I I shouldn't call her mom I should you use the term birth mother right I say birth mother birth she mother. Has actually I'm, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm sorry if I slip and, and keep saying mom I mean birth oh, mother um with was was your birth mother advocating to get you back the this whole time or was it kind of just someone checking up on her and saying like okay she seems good now so that's another good question so you know again we're kind of speaking like in the air a little bit because there's so many details that go Mm -hmm. into this story but at a certain point I would say around um first grade until around well excuse me I should say from the point of fourth grade until around junior high, I lived with her straight. So there was long periods of time that I was living with her. Um, And and depending on the situation, yeah, she certainly definitely wanted her children. I mean, she, like I mentioned, she has since passed, but she always cared for us. And that's the whole fascinating thing with mental illness, right? they still have whatever positive traits they have. It doesn't go hand in hand. Um, It just was unfortunate that it was children at a young age who did not understand and who did not know how to defend or, you know, relate to a mother figure or a father figure at that time um, in that type of dynamic. Like as an adult now that I've grown and I've learned, I'm like, okay, she definitely loved me, but wow, that is not the type of love we need. So um, yeah, she, she wanted us to, to live with her and be with her and be together, but it just wasn't something she really had the ability to do. Yeah. It's, and that's kind of the saddest part of all of this is that some people are just not equipped and, and, and you're right. And it's the, and the alternatives of, you know, throwing someone into a system they suck. Like there are no good alternatives um, from that. And that's, and that's really hard. You mentioned your siblings. How far apart in age are you? So I'm the oldest. My sister is under me. She's about four years. (laughs) Don't quote me, but (laughs) under me. And then a brother under her about two years or so. So, so you're, so you're a kid in charge of kids, basically. So you're, yes. Yeah. So you're, you're a six-year-old in charge of a four-year-old and, and a, and a newborn baby. What was, what was that like getting thrown into that motherhood role so quickly? Did you embrace it? Well, I wouldn't necessarily use any term because it wasn't an option and it wasn't something that I thought, oh, let me be sad about this. Let me be happy. Let me enjoy it. Let me have fun. It was like, I got to get shit done. I don't know if you're cursing yeah, on this. Yeah, no. That you is perfectly that is perfectly appropriate for the situation. <laughs> so that's 
pretty much my MO even to today, honestly. And it's just like, make things happen, get it done. Like, we don't need to talk about it. Let's just do it um, for good or for bad, you know? And there's there's room for growth as I am an adult now and a parent and a wife that I have a lot to learn and grow from. But in that space, as a young Betty, it was just go with the rote of what has to get done and to survive, honestly. It was a lot of survival mode 24 seven. Um, and I could just share with you, like even the smallest of things, she was constantly triggered. So it was just like, I, I worked since I was 12. I babysat, I saved my, saved my money and I would build up to go on NCSY, which is just youth organization. Um, they have trips, they have day parties, get togethers for the youth to make connections and relationships. So I was a big fan because I love making and meeting new friends. And of course that was a huge outlet for me, of course. Um, so I would save money, I would work hard, and I'm like, yes, I'm going on this weekend trip to Atlanta. And she was okay with it, and everything was fine. And they would pull up because we would drive at, you know, I don't know, five in the morning. And she would just be standing there by the door deciding. She just decided that moment that, nope, you're not going to go. And that is just one little small example. I don't know why, but it popped into my mind. Okay, so we could go humiliation total shame, total fear, um, you know, and then depression, right? Because now I'm stuck at home. I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know if she's going to continue to be angry and do crazy things, you know, in the house. And now I'm all by myself again. So it was a lot of those type of things, which just got more and more intense as I got older because I got tougher and I decided to fight back. And it was just this dynamic of like chaos. Um, yeah. So that's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a hard thing. And it's funny. Cause I, I know you as like, I, I know you as a businesswoman. we've worked together professionally. You were one of the first people that I worked with professionally. So like, I know you as a very, very no nonsense, like, yeah, like a little bit of a tough cookie, which doesn't surprise me at all. And I love tough cookies. I am, I am, I put myself very firmly in that category and, and it doesn't, it, it's, it's not surprising that, that, you know, that you said that like you fought back with her or everything. Like I, I, that's just in the way that you're wired, I think. And I'm, and obviously our circumstances have so much to, to do with that. Uh, you mentioned, you, you mentioned, you know, joining the Jewish community and becoming incorporated with it in that way. And, um, and I'd love if, if you were open to it, to, to share a little bit more about that. How old were you? What, what, what made you interested? Were you like, were, were, were you, what did you know about the Jewish community? It's, I didn't even know there was a Jewish community in Memphis. I'm very <laughs> New York this way. I'm sorry. That's so cute. So, you know, the Jewish community in Memphis is lovely. It's wonderful. And it's just like any other regular town with its ups and downs and gossip and, you know, all that stuff, politics. Mm -hmm. So it's really just like that. It's just a different vibe depending on the neighborhood and the area. So it's got a very low key vibe. There's not much going on there. There's one kosher place and, you know, kosher food. Um, there's many synagogues, there's different styles, different types. And Today, there are actually many families there. Um, people have moved in. The real estate is great there. It's beautiful weather. So that's Memphis in terms of that. But for me, from a personal perspective, you know, there's a lot of history. And um, yeah, I was at a non-Jewish public school 
And my mother actually was always very spiritual and she, you know, appreciated Judaism and the love of the universe. Um, she was kind of more, I guess, like of a hippie in that type of way. She was an artist and she and her mother, who I did know as well, um, created jewelry and did different things. It was like fascinating. She, I remember my grandmother, like in her garage, had one of those like hot, um, microwaves where you melt um, beads or whatnot to create you yeah know what yeah, yeah. the the shrinky dink things sure yeah. well a professional one <laughs> right like a, okay yeah a real one but yeah <laughs> real, like metals and stuff like that so you know it was kind of like this dynamic that I was that I was really intrigued by and of course I have that to me too a creative part so um she had a lot of lovely traits but she was just really affected by many diseases so um so yes oh so she met this wonderful woman who was just in memphis her name is miriam and i'm actually really close with her today i have a lot of gratitude for people who did good the things that i know of course and i try my absolute best to keep up and keep in touch because as an empath i can just put myself in their shoes how much um strength they can get from seeing me now and i'm not saying i'm amazing but you know you're a functioning human and under the circumstances that's amazing <laughs> exactly thank you <laughs> um so she met her and she kind of reintroduced her if you would to jewish life um Jewish culture and from that was when she kind of got into the community side before we were living like totally way out and so I re-entered kindergarten and I started at the Jewish day school in Memphis and from that point on I went all the way through high school till graduating 12th grade at this Jewish day schools yeah so that's that's how you you know you you entered the community I, I love how you say that did you know, so, so you go, you know, you go through the Jewish day school system and you graduate and you graduate high school and, and all of that. And it's, it's a little rocky, but it's sort of working. And what happens next? What happens when you graduate high school? So actually, right before I graduated high school, I had lived with um, a family in the community. And um, when I decided that I had wanted to go to Israel, I raised money. I saved money from work and I asked to, for supporters to help me get there. And I went to a seminary, which was focusing on Jewish studies in Israel. And I chose to do that really because I could have stayed in Memphis and it would have been certainly very easy to get a scholarship at the local university there. Um, but Jewish life fascinatingly enough, was always in my heart. I always knew that that was something that I wanted to incorporate. How, when, what, how much, I didn't know. But it was just something always inside me, which was so fascinating to look back on because I by no means had any need or push or pull or you know, force to do that. And um, it was not something I was around, but you know, we did do here and there and we tried to do this and I tried to do that. And I was around the Jewish community. So it wasn't like I didn't know. Um, it wasn't like I'm totally not educated. That's the irony of who I am. It's like, wait, I don't get it. <laughs> how do you know how to speak Hebrew? And how do you have that story? I don't like what's happening. So that's why I have a very unique perspective on a lot of things in life, but yeah, so I went to Israel and I studied abroad and that was like mind blowing. This is my first time, girl, away fully from any and everything. And 
Um, wow. It was It's your first time where you literally have only yourself to worry about. It's and and it's and it's true for everyone, right? So like everyone has that experience when they go, you know, this this uh, this taking a gap year in Israel to go to a seminary is super common among among Jewish youth and, and specifically among Orthodox youth. This is this is something that a lot of people do. I did it myself, and I remember for myself. Now I was coming from like the most normal situation that you could possibly come from, like regular base Yaakov girl who like did well, had great loving parents, great siblings, like went to Israel, like yay, I'm here. That was literally my experience, and it was a fantastic amazing experience but the thing that I remember being so um eye-opening about eye-opening is not even the wrong word but the thing that was kind of revolutionary and that um my sisters I have two older sisters who actually told me this before they were like you can be as selfish as you want this year you have literally nobody to worry about except for yourself that's all that you need to take care of you only need to take care of you so take care of you you know think think about what is right for you what do you want to be doing pick the right people do the right things and do it in a way that just feels good for you and again I was coming from like the most paranormal situation you've ever heard of in your entire life I'm sure that for you coming from a less than ideal situation that must have been mind-blowing you know to not be around your siblings and to not be around everything that you had going on at home to just have that time alone that must have been earth-shattering for you yeah and in many ways it certainly was and honestly unfortunately it took almost the whole year just to get to that place because you know people have a hard time letting go and accepting change so for the first half certainly I was still getting phone calls I was still you know, managing different issues and things going on. And, you know, I'm not the mother. (laughs) That was kind of like what it was an aha moment of like, I'm not their mother. Don't call me. Um, But, you know, eventually I, I got to a place of separation or more of a separation and, Um, I decided what did I really want in terms of my Jewish life and so I started to take on more things such as wearing skirts and trying to keep more specific kosher food kosher eating um, and the Sabbath and you know little by little I got to habits where when I wanted to put on pants that felt funny so just changing different things within who I am and wanted to be and then I came back to Memphis for the summer. And actually, fascinatingly enough, the family that I was last living with asked me, Betty, you know, we're really proud of everything that you've done. And we're really just so inspired by what and who you are at this point. We were wondering if you wanted to allow us to adopt you. And I'm like, wow, well, I'm like, 19. <laughs> right. so, this is not the best timing for like, this. But guys, this is a big, this is a big chat that we're doing right now because not many people know pretty much everything that I've shared with you today. Um, and so that piece is even more fascinating because the name that I go by, meaning my maiden name is that family. And my two younger siblings did not go through that process. And actually we all of course have our own story too. So we have different names and, you know, it's just a very unique situation. What made you want to go through with that adoption process when you didn't need, like you were 19, you were legally an adult. Did you, what, why, why bother? 
So there's a lot of reasons, actually. And, you know, first and foremost is, of course, because I felt that considering the circumstance and the timing and the place and the family, that it was something that I could give them to really show and say a message of, you know what, I feel a connection with you too. And I'm forever grateful. And I know and respect the power of family. And that was something that was, you know, a card is only, you know, so much, right? Or, or a hug or whatnot. But this was something that I felt that, oh my gosh, they're asking me. That's not something that people just randomly ask. They must really mean it. They must really feel it. And sure, like really, what, what did I technically have to lose? If anything, I only had what to gain. Nevertheless, to show the reciprocation of the mutual feelings of family connection. Yeah, that's, that's really, really special. So, so your siblings have your birth mom's last name? Yes. Well, my sister was married, so she had, you know. Okay, whatever. But their maiden names, I guess we could say, were yeah. are, are your birth mom's last name. Wow. That's, that's, that's really special. That's a really, you're right. It's a really special connection to, to have with someone. And as an acknowledgement of, you know, yeah, you were a big part of me growing up and, you know, becoming who I am in the world. That's, that's a very big deal. That's, wow. That's, I'm getting emotional. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it's really actually cute you're so cute it's actually really funny because I went back for a second year in Israel um and I met my current still now husband Usher and I of course changed my name (laughs) when I got married and so I have like a bunch of birth certificates and it's just like a whole bunch of weird stuff going on when I have to like file something serious it's like right you're like which name yeah. yeah so you have to do the annoying change your name thing twice yeah I don't recommend it by the way it's a lot of annoying paperwork the 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 way that I got to know you um and like I mentioned before we you know worked together professionally um and that I got to know you as such a Betty which was this really fun like lifestyle and and blog that you had for for quite a while that you um that, that I know you don't run in the same way anymore. So what I'd love to do is kind of fast forward a little bit. You come back from Israel, you marry your husband, you have your beautiful daughter. And you know, what happens in all of this? What makes you think like, how did, how did you know what you wanted to be when you grow up? Like, how did you make those decisions for yourself? Oh my gosh. Do I still, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's a never-ending journey. Like, gosh, I can, I can I relate know? to that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Listen, yeah, exactly. I got married. We had Adina. She's she's amazing, thank God. And we now have a fur daughter, she, mm. Chloe. She's all sorts of a mess. And she's we really live cute, in though. She's cute. I don't know. Yeah. In New York. And yeah, I was such a Betty. So I was actually my background is in psychology and education and special education and all of that. So I was working for years and years, I'm talking like 12 years in that field and specifically doing applied behavioral analyst with children on the autistic spectrum. So that was my first kind of full-time professional from my master's and degree business that I was doing. And, you know, it was, it was wonderful in many ways, but after so many years and growth and changes, I was like, this is just not for me. Um, I'm a psychology person, obviously, and I just needed to find something that I knew for sure I was able to do. I was able to make money. It was a job that I could 
have in New York, it's very accessible to work in the educational field, especially at special education. So that was honestly straight up the premise from that perspective. And it wasn't like something that was so far away from me. It just wasn't, as I've learned today, my passion. Um, so I started my business, Such a Betty, and Such a Betty started out as a fashion business, which was editorial styling for photo shoots, personal shopping, closet organizing, whatever, things of that. And then Instagram came and being in the Jewish community in New York at that time, it was just the right timing where I was able to be kind of like the forefront of that space. And due to the fact that I was being me and still being funky and being a stylist and still following within the guidelines, so somewhat of modest dressing according to Judaism, it was very unique. And I think that people were very excited for that. So I was able to spearhead kind of my business. And, you know, throughout that and all different life changes, I shifted and shifted and shifted and pivoted into current currently, which is what I'm doing back to my roots of psychology. <laughs> and I think that honestly, like, really deeply, truly, I'm the most passionate about what I'm doing now, because the work that I'm doing now is so me, it's so natural, it's so I don't know, effective in the sense of I'm really able to be that person that I didn't have growing up. And it's so sincere as a life coach, as a young teens mentor, um, and specifically focusing with confidence and mindset. It's just so empowering to know this is my mission. Like Betty's mission is to inspire. I don't, whether I thought it was fashion, whether I thought it was accessories or whether I thought it was you know, just being a party girl for events, you know, all of those things are me, do not get me wrong. It doesn't take away from that. It just means that that wasn't my core. And I was always coaching girls. I always am talking to people. I just didn't, I, I think, honestly, I think, I think that I was afraid to go there. I didn't want to let go of this fashion, such a Betty, you know, presence that I had created. But it comes along with my story and it's all coming full circle now. The more you really dig deep and you become attuned to who and what you are, you shed away all of those layers. And the layers don't become this big, fiery, scary thing. It becomes a flower and a butterfly. And it's something that allows me to fly. And I'm getting the chills as I'm saying that because you know what? I can never ever and I did not ever imagine in a million years, I promise, I never thought, and I know this sounds so harsh to say, but that I was going to become anything. Like, I don't even know what that means. That hurts to say. But the truth is, I did not have the money. I did not have the family. I did not have the strength or the mindset. I did not have the education because certainly I was not focusing on school. So it was just not a good, good uh, direction. But the message here is that you do have the ability and it's up to you to make those changes, those choices, to put yourself in the right places, to feel comfortable, to ask questions, to search out, you know, your soul. And, you know, I really think that whatever religion you believe in, there's help. The hand is there. The hand of faith is there guiding you. So I'm just excited to see where life continues to take me. Yeah, I want to backtrack for a second because I just thought of a <laughs> random question. When you, because of 
your whole family situation. When you, were you terrified when you were pregnant with Adina? Like, were you worried that, like, how, what was that? What was stepping into motherhood like with the very fluid experience that you had with mothers in your own life? Wow, girl. I know it's a big one. You know how to hit me hard. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's a perfect freaking question because very specifically, my birth mother had passed away shockingly, suddenly, um, when I was nine months pregnant. Wow. And prior to that, I had no contact with her. I was not in touch with her. Um, I had through other people, you know, touched base. How is she doing? What's going on with her? But I hadn't spoken to her via the, my voice and hers. I hadn't seen her in many years. And that was because when I had gone back to visit Memphis and family and friends, um, I, I had tried to be, you know, the bigger person to do the right thing and visit her. And since I had grown so much, it was more obvious to me of the uh, disease and it just was not healthy for me. I could not be around it. I just couldn't stand it. I couldn't withhold being in that, uh, you know, situation. So I just said, I can't, that's it. I'm moving on with my life and I have to focus on my next life. So when that had happened, it was very overwhelming to say the least. And then fast forwarding to when I, I was, thank God, giving birth to Adina, that was actually a very intense moment for one of many moments because Number one, I was petrified of giving birth just in general. Like, girl, I don't do pain, okay? I don't do like, you, you touch me like that. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> so that, I was just so scared of the pain of giving birth. And then of course, the emotional component. So here it is, my birth mother had just passed away who I hadn't been in touch with. So I have no closure. I set um, Shiva, which is a Jewish tradition where we basically kind of be within ourselves and our family members to take time to grieve. Um, and I did that pretty much alone. And that's because no one really knows my story and no one really knew the truth of who and what I am. Not that it was a secret, it was just not something that I advertised. And when I was in that moment, again, I'm gonna use that word, I felt very lonely. It felt very lonely and fearful of, oh my gosh, am I ready? Do I know what I'm doing? Do I have the skills? Like, do I have the love, you know? Um, and it went by fast because I didn't have time to really dwell on it. You know, after nine centimeters of all the things, I ended up with a C-section and that was just a whole big mess. But, you know, I think that again, after that point, and thank God she was healthy and she was a beautiful, fun, cute, adorable baby, you know, you get to a place of one accepting what is and isn't. And um, being able to go to therapy, I'm very big of a component, of course, for that. And being able to share just as I'm doing with you right now, my feelings about it and what perhaps that can mean or not mean and what I can and can't do about it. And just knowing and believing and choosing, by the way, choosing to believe that there was love from her that whatever the hard feelings that I have was from love, that's allowed me to feel safe within my life and um, pursue a loving relationship with Adina. And I, I'm just in awe yeah. of her, honestly. 
Yeah. And, and it's so obvious that the relationship that you have with Adina is such a, it's, it's a really, really special bond. Like all mothers and daughters are really special. This was, this is, this is next level. And that's, and, and, and what you say, you know, this thing about choosing to, to pursue it and, and developing that mindset. That's something that I know that you are, uh, that you really emphasize in your, in your glow up club. And I'd love for you to tell people a little bit more about what that is and how that works. You're so cute. Yeah, listen, right now I'm doing one-on-one coaching, consulting, which is just kind of like we're doing now. We just dig deep and talk about who you are and what you are so I could get to know you, of course. And then from that point on, depending on the goals that we decide we're working on, we have a plan and you have homework and you got to work on it and it's not fun. It's not always pretty, but it's exciting. You have to want it. So part of that is in my belief and through my experience and learnings is it really starts from a mindset perspective, believing. And usually, you know, we don't have that belief. We don't actually think we can accomplish and do the things that we set out to do. So once we are able to build habits and shift that into belief and knowing that it is going to happen, it will happen, then we can start doing the steps towards actually actualizing whatever our goals are. So that's the Glow Up Club. And with that, there's, of course, a membership thing, which you can just get like lots of cute things going on monthly, you know, emails and stuff like that. Um, if you feel that that's just better for you for whatever reason. And listen, it's just so exciting. You know, it's like you were like, did you know you wanted to be? No. And now I promise. I promise. Like, I'm not saying I'm not going to shift it and change it a little bit here and there, but it suits me. And I'm just, I'm feeling so freaking excited about it. So thank you. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty obvious that this is kind of where your, where your heart's at and where your soul's at. And, and I'm, and I'm really glad that you found this, this space for it. You also have the chat with Betty podcast, which if anybody, if you're, if you enjoy this conversation, go listen to that. It's, it's pretty much this. And it's, um, and it's, it's a, it's a really, you know, it's a great show. You can find it, um, anywhere that you're listening to this. Um, and uh, Betty, if somebody wants to get in touch with you and learn more about the Glow Up Club, where can they go? So I have, of course, my Instagram for all my social media. It's my name, Betty Golgo, chat with Betty. And same as my website is my name, www.bettygolko.com. And there you could find out all the information you need. And yeah, thank you. That is awesome. The last thing that I want to ask you is what I ask everyone who comes on the show, and that is to you, Betty Golko, what does it mean to make an impact? It means to be able to stand up to some sort of belief that you feel passionate about and sharing that to the world unapologetically. Making an impact is about you believing in some sort of greater cause and being brave about it. I love that. Thank you so much for coming on today, Betty. I really appreciate it. Thank you, girl. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Betty, her links are in the show notes. The Be Impactful podcast is a project of impact fashion, the clothing line I created because I believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer. See my modest designs that are available in sizes 2 through 24 by going to impactfashionnyc.com. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art. There are currently 11 people listed by Ora Agunot as a recalcitrant party. View their names, photos, locations, and details of their cases by visiting getora.org slash recalcitrant dash parties. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Itzkowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together. <laughs>